In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' convincing win over the Dallas Mavericks, what our concern level is about the defense, and what to expect in the upcoming back-to-back against the Toronto Raptors and the Miami Heat. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman, who is not here to look cute dribbling basketball. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm good. I think it's it's good that last time we did a pod, the Sixers were were generally riding high, but unfortunately we did it after pretty bad loss, I would say. Yeah. It's been a kind of an up and down week, but we're doing it after probably their best win since then. So, you know, everything evens out here. Yeah, and and I I guess real quick context for that quote. That was a quote from George Dang uh, after last night's win. He was basically asked, "How do you have? How did you develop the confidence to continue shooting even when you're in a slump?" And he was like, "Well, I can't really dribble, so I better shoot. That's the only way good things will happen." Which not wrong, but you just don't usually see people that uh that honest about their own ability. It was a, it was a good line. George is good for a good line, especially after a win. Anyway, the uh, the game was a one eleven to one one win over the Dallas Mavericks, who had come in. Playing pretty well. I think they were 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Something of that sort. With a, a bunch of pretty Good strong wins. wins. Yeah. yeah. Um, a team that always surprised me when I look at it because they're like the 5th or 6th ranked defense in the league. And you look at their roster and you said, that shouldn't be the case. Um, but they are playing really well for Jason Kidd. And the Sixers came in there and executed pretty well. Especially their, you know, they had their runs. They got off to a slow start. I thought the Embiid-Harden sort of pick-and-roll game got them going, and then in the third quarter, uh, the Sixers zone and James Harden just looking like James Harden, and he hasn't that hasn't always been the case, but he really took over there in the third and propelled them. Uh, it was like a good, a very good win for them, for sure. It was. Let's just talk about Harden, because I think there were two stretches that stood out to me. The one at the end of the second quarter where it was a lot of Harden and Bede pick and roll, getting the Sixers back in the game, and then... At the end of the third, beginning of the fourth quarter, it was Harden with the backup unit, the much maligned DeAndre Jordan backup unit for good reason, where Harden was, I mean, dude, he was a fucking maestro. Like, that was really impressive, like scoring in every way possible, just just picking on the weak defenders, whether that was Davis Bertans or Spencer Dinwiddie, and he scored in every way possible. He found George for three. He... Isoed and hit step backs. He isoed and got to the rim a couple times. He split a trap and hit the Andre for dunks. It was, I mean, he had everything working, and it's it's kind of why I think we need to like not talk about the team's championship hopes after every single game because look, I'm watching the All same right, games. Fine, I'll, every- I'll delete that off of the to do list for today's podcast. Fine, fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. But my point is. I watch these games and I see these nights where Harden does not look like he has the one-on-one burst to get by people. Trust me, I see it. But but what am I supposed to do with that against a good defense last night where he completely, for about six minutes of the game, with the backup unit, he just won the game for the Sixers. It was um, super impressive. So I, I can't... I, I think we, we need to just acknowledge, like, hey, uh, let, let's wait and see how this thing looks in the playoffs. Like, I... I can't write these guys off when they have a guy who can do that stuff. I just can't do it. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and to your point, like late in the third quarter, it was a one possession game or a sub five point game. By you know six or seven minutes of game time later, it was a near twenty point lead for the Sixers, uh, and most of that came during this 
the stretch where Joel Embiid was out. Not something we typically see all that much. It reminded me very much of, you know, three or four years ago when Brett Brown had the rotations where Joel would leave early, come back and beat up on bench units. That's what James Harden was doing. He was, and like you said, it was really in every way, the step back, uh, off the dribble, um, finding DeAndre for lobs, finding George, who he has great rapport with. It was a real good performance. Uh, and, and you're right. A lot of times, you know, so far, James Harden, his numbers, 23 points, 10.7 assists for the Sixers, uh, shooting 37% from three. Uh, good numbers. At times, the eye test, you worry a little bit physically how much burst does he have. We don't know how much of that is, you know, his aging, how much of that is the hamstring, how much of that is just March malaise that teams and players go through. Uh, and we will probably scrutinize that to death because that does impact the Sixers championship equity. But every now and then you're reminded, oh yeah, this dude is has just such an insane skill level that even if he does take a step back, he's still going to be very good. And it might not be as consistent as it was when he was leading the league in scoring every year, but he has an insane skill level and he completely took over that game uh, against Mavs. Yeah, and I mean to add to the eye test versus the like the stats. I mean, Sixers offense cleaning the glass when Harden's on the court, one twenty four point three. And yeah, you know we're getting to the point where it's like, oh, he just played against the Timberwolves. He played <laughs> against the Knicks. It's like that's, he's played ten games well, now, and that was a good defense last night. That was a good defense for sure. Yeah, and the so, Cavs are a pretty good defense too. Yeah, and he's played them tw- twice. So. I don't know, man. It's uh, you're right. Like that, the eye test is not always there. I, I would like to see him. It, the main thing is against a good defense. I think you have to switch that stuff because it's clear. Like when he runs that pick and roll with George, and they do anything except switch. If they trap, if they like hedge and recover, if they do any of this stuff, it's death for the defense. <laughs> like yeah. he's gonna get the ball to George. Or he's going to get the ball to somebody else because they're helping on George. And the Sixers are going to get an awesome shot. Yeah. <laughs> it's Look, some of it's going to be a matter if George is making those shots. He actually was, uh, I think he was 2 of 20 heading into yeah. the, the second half of last night's game. Yeah, he, two he of his struggled in the first half too, for sure. Yep. And uh, Doc, I do get a kick out of his quotes about George because he's just like, you know, he kind of gives him the the meathead treatment where he's like, George, you know, he, he doesn't care. He'll keep shooting, you know, like he'll just, that's the good thing about George. He, he doesn't let anything get to him or whatever. But while he's also making fun of his, uh, I guess his shape and his legs sure. and all these things and stuff like that. But uh, no, and that is the great thing about George Niang. Two of 20 going into the second half, he goes four for four because he just continues to shoot those shots, which, for a Sixers team, that is uh, that's inspirational, man. They they need that type of uh, type of bombing. But yeah, he's going to continue to get great shots with Harden. I think that's very clear. He's um, going to have some nights where he's just not making them, and it's not going to seem like much of a contributor. But you know, really good job by him in the second half uh, and Harden as well. And then I, I guess the other thing too with Harden, like the chemistry with Embiid is just very good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You can see Embiid. I don't know why they settled on this last night. I actually wanted to ask him about this after the game, but didn't get the question in, whatever. Wasn't the most important thing in the world. But Embiid, you could see that he sensed that he's setting the screen to Harden's right hand, which is interesting, right? Like you would think James Harden, you want him getting downhill to his left hand. But no, like Harden, he, he would flip the ball screen and set it to the right at an angle. And basically Harden... 
the Mavs were kind of playing aggressive, kind of like a soft aggressive coverage. I would, you know, Dwight Powell up at the uh, up at the level. But anyway, Harden to his right hand, they figured out, okay, he can get there, and he'll just throw that little pocket pass to Joel at the free throw line. And Joel, I think I think thirteen of his thirty one points came off Harden pick and roll. Yeah. So yep. really, um, really good work with them uh, in concert. Yeah, a lot, lot of positives to take from last night's game, and it was. You know, we're talking about Harden and Embiid, but I thought pretty much everybody contributed up and down the lineup. Pretty good game from a lot of people. So, yeah, feel good. Uh, feel good performance on a Friday night for the Sixers. Yeah. I mean, look, they got up 38 threes. Uh, legitimately, half of their shots were from three-point range. That's Houston nice. Rockets, Daryl Morey, Houston Rockets territory. Uh, 23 free throw attempts, only 11 turnovers. Like, all of their numbers, all their periphery numbers were pretty good. Uh, and, and again, against a, a real good defense. And do I have a little bit of skepticism over the uh, the Mavs being that good of a defensive squad? I think they're like second in the league in defense over the last like 40 games or whatever. Um, they're playing at a real high level. I'm not quite sure I see that kind of personnel to warrant that long term, but they're playing exceptionally well, exceptionally hard. Uh, they stick to their concepts. They don't make too many mistakes. And the Sixers pretty much pick them apart. Um, and you're right. I do think in the playoffs. Switch, switch that. Yeah. like just see if Harding can still beat you physically like he could in the past. Um, because right now, if you trap him, you're playing into his hands. He's too smart, too skilled, too diverse. Uh, you're you're going to give open shots somewhere, and the Sixers are finding those guys. But right now, I mean, they and that didn't be Harden pick and roll. Like I I don't know if there's a real good way to cover that. Like I don't obviously that's not one you can switch. When we talk about switching, we're talking about switching with the George and Yang pick and roll. Um, and yeah. is going to destroy that. Uh, that is going to be the Sixers bread and butter, but yeah, they're, yeah. I mean, look, they're what, like nine and two, I think when James Harden plays. Uh, and again, I think you and I probably look at it and we start nitpicking in part because we're looking at it in championship terms. And when you start doing that, it becomes real easy to nitpick, but in part because the defense is so suspect that they have to be almost perfect offensively. So when they're not, it stands out, but that was a real good performance. And Two back-to-back pretty outside of the third quarter against the Cavs. Two pretty good back-to-back performances. Yeah, um, and I think the trapping is part of the reason that they have this one twenty-four point three offensive rating because it's clear like Harden's like a quarterback against the blitz. Like it, if you don't switch against him, he's just going to pick you apart. So yeah, I think that's going to be the key come playoff time. But like you said, when you run the Embiid Harden pick and roll, it's much like. There's two parts of you can't switch. To yeah. that. It's yeah. if even if Harden can't get by Embiid's guy, you know, like like there was a play against the Cavs the other night where Harden found himself switched against Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley's like very good defender. I, I think a lot of guys would struggle to go one on one against him, and he ended up taking a step back. Which okay, it's like a okay shot for him, but like to me, it was clear looking at that. I was like, man, I don't think he could get by him. Uh, if he wanted to. So I think there are going to be matchups like that. But on the other hand, like just throw the ball down to Joe. And uh, as long as Joel's not dribbling the ball in transition, I think, uh, I think he's going to be okay on that. He was uh, Harden was asked basically like, you know, what does it say about you all to have five steals? And he's like, well, it would be nice if you didn't turn the ball over right after the steal, um, <laughs> which was fair on, on last night's game. They Joel was a little bit, even even some of the non-turnovers. He had one, I think, and one, or at least one where it got fouled, where he was pretty out of control. He had a couple of plays there where, look, Joel's done great in transition. Earlier in the year when the Sixers didn't really have any ball handlers, that became a necessity. 
Now you have James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. Maybe, you know, cut dial those back a tiny bit. But Joel has earned that uh, earned that it, leeway for sure. It's like he's playing with a new basketball or something. He completely <laughs> forgot how to dribble. Like way, earlier is... when he couldn't shoot for a little bit and everyone's like, oh my God, the basketball. Maybe maybe they switched yeah. up the basketball midseason. Yeah. By the way, have you seen these NCAA tournament games, how uh, orange the basketball is? <laughs> yes, yes. That would be very distracting, I think. It looks like they're <laughs> playing with an outdoor ball, basically, like something, you know, something I would bring to school or something when I was a kid. But uh, that is besides the point. I guess let's switch to the defense a little bit, since that is part of the game of basketball as well. What's your read on that? Like, what's your concern level as we finish out the season? Concern level's pretty high. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think that's going to be the downfall of this team. It's like, and when we talk about, um, you know, picking nits over the championship equity, it's like the offense has to be very good. Like if Harden is just good, I, I just don't think this defense against a team with a couple of great scores is going to be able to hold up on the other end. So look, I mean, some of this is the transition defense for about a week was a disaster. It's been pretty bad all year. Like there, it's been we, bad all year. we had stretches where Doc was talking about that uh, earlier in the season as well. And and it's kind of um, it goes hand in hand with the offensive rebounding. The offensive rebounding is so bad, and part of that was well, we realized early on that we suck at transition defense, so we got to give up something. So that's gotten better the last couple of games. It's it is interesting though, like, man, I, it feels like every time Harden has a live ball turnover where he just tries to do a little bit too much, which, you know, with a guy who does a lot, sometimes you you try to do a little bit too much. It just feels like that's a bucket on the other end of the court mm-hmm. every single time. So that's uh that's a little bit of tough stuff. I it feels like they have gotten a little bit better with the transition defense, I would say, maybe since the over the last two games. Like I think Orlando and and Denver were both pretty bad. Denver, at least that was Jokic. Like he threw some insane passes up the court. Um, I'm not quite as worried about that. Like I think from Doc's experience on this, from Dan Burke's experience, like they will find a way, even if it comes at the expense of offensive boards, to say transition. No, we we got we got to keep people out of transition. We're going to send guys back. Yeah, um, I mean, schematically, I certainly think Doc and Dan Burke are up for the task. Um, there's just, like, I guess starting off with Joel Embiid either driving or or down near the basket um, and then having a couple of guys like James Harden who, look, and I think James Harden in a half-court defense has been probably better than I expected, better than he was with the Nets. Not perfect. Uh, we can certainly nitpick the ever-living shit out of that. But I think he's been... Not terrible. Like, he's, he has his moments. I actually thought last night uh, he had some possessions against Luca where he defended and held his own. Um, but transition, I think he stands out as a pretty terrible transition. He's not very committed in getting back in transition. Joel, I think if you see Joel taking plays off, a lot of times that comes in transition. And Matisse, to be honest, like, I think Matisse tries to gamble a little too much and goes for steals to try to get the ball back and compromises them a little bit. When your two best defenders in a half court aren't uh, holding up the defense in transition, there's just a lot of lot to overcome. Um, so t- to me, the fix though is George just Mati- is so slow on the wings to get back. Yeah, uh, he doesn't cover a a shooter at all. There's just a, there's just a lot. So and and the other problem with it is, Ma- Maxi talked about this after the game too. If Maxi or Harden is driving to the 
rim. Like if one of them is either driving the rim, and I would also add, he didn't say this. I would also add if Maxi is taking a corner three as well, yeah. yep. which is a long way to get back. Which, by the way, those are two things you'd like to see. Like from yeah. an offensive standpoint, 100%. I like to see James Harden and Tyrese Maxi driving. I like to see Tyrese Maxi shooting quarter threes. It seems like he makes every one of them. Now, uh, if they miss that shot, though, yeah. It's on the other guys to get back. So I think part of it, too, is like, hey, uh, Tobias and, and Matisse, too. Like, Matisse, like, when you're on the court, unfortunately, dude, I know offensive rebounding is, like, something they tell you to do. You just got to get back. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, well, especially, not, especially for Tobias. Like, you're not a good offensive rebounder anyway. Like, get, get back. Yeah. So that's part of it. I, I'm a little less worried about that, though. I, I think that while they will give up a couple points a game on that, I, I'm less worried about that. The half-court defense is what I'm more worried about, yeah. which is like, there's no fix to that. Uh, there's no, you know, scheming it up. And, you know, like, I- I'll just say it. I- Tyrese Maxey's played fantastic. I- I- man, with Harden out on the court and with the Sixers putting Harden kind of in these hiding spots on defense, like, you you start Maxey against Jalen Brunson last night. He got roasted. It's really not a surprise that he gets completely roasted. You know, he's, he's slow. He's, he is so slow to get around screens. It's, he's got a little Lou Williams in him. Like you said, like he just getting around a screen. He, sometimes he takes the wrong angle. He'll, you know, I I forget who was it. The, the nuggets where he just, he went under on a, on a split cut against somebody like bones Highland who was playing really well. I don't know. Yeah. He's just, he's not a very good defender. Unfortunately, like I, I know people say it because he tries hard and all these things, but he's, He's slow to get around screens. And the other thing, too, if there's any sort of physicality, the guy doesn't even have to be a big player. Like Jalen Brunson is, you know, this goes back to his Nova days. He's a super physical driver, though. You know, like he just, there are ways to get Tyrese Maxey off your body very easily if you have any sort of strength on the the offensive end. And you saw it. And so I I will give a compliment because I wrote about this in my uh, in my post after the game. They switched Tobias on him for a couple possessions, Jalen Brunson. That's like a world of difference from Tyrese Maxey. And, like, look, I'm not here to say Tobias Harris is your stopper. Like, he's going to be this great uh, defensive player for you. But I do think Tobias' issues are more off the ball. Like, I I do think, like, his issues sometimes – you saw it a little bit in last night's game, too, where it's like, don't reach. Just, like, you're in good position against Luka. Like, make him make a tough shot. Um but Tobias, like, I think is somebody who's probably overachieved for his physical tools defensively, or at least overachieved for what we have seen from him most of his career this year, which is a good sign. That's like him embracing a three and D roll. But man, like the rest of this roster, like if Tobias to me is if Matisse is like having one of those rough games, if he is your second best defensive player yeah. on the floor, I don't know. It's tough. And that's that's you brought it up during a game. Um, he's your second best perimeter defender. And that's scary. And when we start nitpicking James Harden and, and maybe his effort in transition or his closeouts or just his effort at times in general, when we start ta- nitpicking Mati- or, uh, uh, Tyrese and his complete inability to get through screens, and he might be one of the worst in the league um, at doing that, it's because you don't have Ben Simmons to, and I, I don't mean to make this about Ben Simmons, but like at, at least back then you had two elite perimeter defenders. Now your second best perimeter defender is Tobias Harris, and that's is that a slight compliment to Tobias? Yeah, like he's yeah. like you said, he's he's uh, exceeding his physical tools, but he's not good enough to be the team's second best perimeter defender, especially when your best perimeter defender is somebody you can't always trust to be on the court offensively, especially now in those backup 
um, units alongside DeAndre Jordan, which is another reason why DeAndre Jordan makes zero sense on his team, but we can get in that in a minute. And I, and I would take that further, too. Yeah, you can't trust Matisse offensively. There are times where he's just fouling sure. too much yep. and he can't play. So, yeah, that's a uh, that's a predicament for Doc. Like, I don't think Doc playing DeAndre is a good thing, obviously. Like, please, like, just give Charles Bassey a shot. I think that has a higher upside of working. Um, but But you have to play Matisse in this rotation with how thin they are, with how poor they are on the perimeter defensively, but that's not a guy you can trust from night to night. Like last night, very good Matisse game. He even knocked down a couple threes from Harden. I thought he played good defense on Luca. I thought he played good defense in the zone. The zone finally uh, turning the tables on the other team because Dallas was one of those teams that just made the Sixers look like, I don't know, pathetic against his own defense earlier this year. But there are nights where, you know, he's missing a bunch of layups and his defense, he's getting scored on. He's fouling people. So that's that's a tough thing for Doc to try to balance because I don't think you know what you're going to get from Matisse from night to night. I did I did appreciate Doc after the game. He was asked, you know, how does Matisse opening or making threes open up your offense? And he's like, it doesn't. Nobody's right. changing right about that. Nobody's yeah. changing how they're going to guard Matisse based on a couple of makes. And he's 100% right. It's great to get those six points if, or three points if he makes a three, six, because I think he made two threes. Or that stretches where I was going with that. But you're not going to change the way a defense reacts. Uh, not not in a game, not in the rest of the season. It's going to take a multi-year effort. But it's good that he made those shots. It's good that he took those shots. He has to, for sure. For sure. It's the way basketball works. Like Sometimes the defense is going to just give you your worst option. But, you know, for Matisse, he's capable enough to shoot those. So, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. I think they're going to need him. It's just... It's frustrating, man. Like, when he makes those corner threes, it's like, how... How can you not be a 38 to 40% shooter with your feet cemented into yeah. the ground? Bruce Bone, cemented. Just check the wind, all that stuff. But Straddling uh, the line. You're not talking about 27 footers. Like You're talking right on the line, not moving, um, no contest. And he's shooting 29% from three. And it's frustrating. Um, yeah, uh, this is not going to be a good defensive team. I'm really worried in the playoffs, especially when you start getting to uh, teams like the... Bulls like the Celtics, like obviously the Nets, who have multiple perimeter scoring options, um, especially multiple big perimeter scoring options, because you just don't have very many options. You saw a lot of people. Well, why isn't George starting over Tobias? And it's because that's that's a, a significant defensive downgrade, very significant defensive downgrade. I also would say, like the starting lineup is good. Yeah, and when I say good, like that's underselling it. They're fucking killing teams. So. You don't need to change that, I don't think. Like, no, it's I not agree. a... I agree. Look, I, I get the idea, too, of, hey, George is the more willing shooter, all of those things, but come on. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Tobias is part of that. So that's why, like, you shouldn't change Matisse out of the starting lineup, too, like, until, until that stops working. Yep. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. 
Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited commercial offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager speaking of george and the bench unit uh, had a pretty good game by their standards You've pretty much shrunk the bench rotation down to three. George Niang, Danny Green, and DeAndre Jordan. They combined for 23 points on, uh, what, 19 field goal attempts last night. DeAndre Jordan specifically had eight points and seven rebounds in 13 minutes and was a plus five. Rich, does that, uh, does that ease your concerns? No, it doesn't, but it, it was a good game. Like, I thought DeAndre was... Um... I think he even had some okay moments defensively last night, but no, it does not ease my uh, my concerns of what I've seen over the first little bit. I, look, DeAndre's going to go where Harden takes him, you know? Yeah. Like, I think when you saw Harden in the fourth quarter just completely dissecting Dallas's defense, you know what that means? That means DeAndre's going to get some really easy shots, which, by the way, he hasn't made all of those <laughs> no. really easy shots. No, he hasn't. Somebody, somebody said this when he bricked another dunk last night it, it's pretty odd that deandre jordan can't make a dunk anymore but he's made like nine out of ten of his free throws yep. with the sixers which if you watch him warm up I, I don't think you would expect that to uh to continue yeah i i don't think so and you know what I, i'm gonna move it off deandre for a second i'm pretty worried about danny green yeah because he fundamentally needs to be part of your rotation, just from a, a smart standpoint, from a three-point catch-and-shoot willingness standpoint. There, there are a lot of ingredients that even it, you could say to yourself, even if Danny Green is not the, the player of three or four years ago, not the player who, like at this time last year, was playing really excellent ball like for the Sixers, bailing them out of games at times, still like you need to have him in the rotation. I need to see more from him defensively. It's uh he he did okay against Luca last night. I actually think Luca is like slower. He's awesome, but the the fact that he's not the the quickest mover in the world, I think that's part of the reason Harden was like, "Yeah, I'll guard him for a little bit." Like, you know, he if he hits step backs on me, that's that's fine. He's not going to like run around off ball screens and uh, you know, off ball movement. But uh Danny Green, I just I don't know, man. Any sort of quick guard, if you put him in a pick and roll, it just feels like he's he's out of the picture almost. And his one on one defense has fallen off that much. Now he's not making threes either right now, but I actually think that will change at some yeah, point. Yeah, he's but, shooting like thirty seven, thirty eight on the season. 
But I, I really think there are going to be moments when we talk about Thibault's limitations, when we talk talk about Niang's limitations. It would be nice to have a Danny Green who once in a while is like, oh, Danny's playing well tonight. Like, he's got a favorable defensive matchup. Look, he's had a, a little bit of a rough season with all the hamstring injuries and being banged up and all those things. But you'd like to see more. I, I think we talk about not passing the eye test with Harden. Danny Green is not passing the eye test at yeah. all right now. No, not at all. And, and that's you're exactly right. Like there are games, matchups where Matisse just won't have it. And it would be great to say, all right, well, let's put Danny Green on the other team's best score. No, you can't do that the way you did last year. Um, not that you would because you had Ben Simmons last year, uh, but you you can't put Danny Green on the other team's second best score on most sites. He has taken a very significant step back here defensively over the last 12 months. Still. Not now, but still making his shots at a reasonable clip where if his defense was still what it was, you would be happy to have him in a rotation. And he should still be in the rotation. He should be one of those three bench players. Oh, yeah. Um, in part because, I mean, for What else he going to do? Yeah, well, what else are you going to do? Um, not having that secondary perimeter defender is a huge concern. I, I actually think, what, what do you make of this, too? Because it's been pretty much a nine-man rotation. I would say almost eight-and-a-half-man yeah, rotation. Shake is occasionally in the rotation. Yep, He played 13 minutes last night. I, I do think that would be the... I think Doc has that right. He doesn't have it right with the DeAndre part, I don't think. But with the with the wing guys, the other players, those would be the three guys I would give every opportunity to seize those minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not perfect. No. I get it. Not even close. There's there's no other viable. I mean, I, I would love to say Shake should be getting Danny's minutes, but Shake hasn't done enough this year to warrant them. Uh, Shake becoming a what's what's Shake at low thirties on a season? No, he's he's high twenties, high twenties, and he's a forty seven percent two point shooter yeah. too. Like, I mean, it's it's night and day. I mean, he's a he's a sub fifty true shooting guy right now. After remember his efficiency stats, yeah. his breakout year, yeah. it was insane. Yep, guy couldn't miss. 43% uh, from three in his first real season. Uh, I'm not going to count that rookie season where he, he barely played. Uh, and then 35% last year. And we said, all right, well, look, he had a down year shooting. He should bounce back up somewhere in between 35 and 43%. And he went down. Uh, he is now at 29.3% from three, which uh, is not going to get it done. And look, I, I prefer shake over Danny in a number of respects. But if you can't stand in the corner and make an open shot, it's really tough to play you right now, especially when you're already playing one guy in Matisse who you can't can't make that shot. Yeah, no, me, I think I think those two are. I mean, George is a hundred percent. Like, there's no question about it. Like, uh, and there will be times where it'll be like, well, he can't be playing 35 minutes like he does occasionally because he doesn't have the legs to do it. But there's no other. There's, yeah, there are nights he's going to be your fourth most important player. He's like he's your most important bench player, and you know what? I think. For a lot of teams, they'd be like, oh, that's a complete nightmare. But on a team that has Joel Embiid and James Harden, yeah. it's yep. it's a nice fit with, with George. Uh, I was just going to say he plays well off of both your two main stars. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, with Shake, though, it's the good news for him, because you're right. He, he does not, his play does not scream, I deserve these minutes. The good news for him is that he's playing on a on a bench that there's a lot of guys who don't yeah. deserve these minutes with this play. And I would like of that group, like, look, we'll, we'll see what happens. If he, if he looks slow, if he looks banged up, if something doesn't change here in the next few days or next few weeks, whatever, I, I just, you've made this point. I think shake has the best chance to be a two way player of that group. Like, I, like, look again, not a very good defensive player, 
But compared to the other guys, I think he has a chance to hold up on some switches a little bit better. I certainly think he has a chance to play off of Harden as a somebody who gives you an advantage uh, and can get into the lane and create a little bit more with those advantages that Harden gives you and and beat as well. Um, so I would roll with him. But yeah, it's uh, I think it's it's fair that he's the half man right now in the eight and a half man rotation. But I, I would give him every chance to keep playing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good. You know, he's got I think one more year left on his contract at under two million. So there's no like, should you bring Shake back? No, he's barely making any money. Um, worth seeing whether or not he can bounce back. But it would be it would just be great to get the guy from even just even just last year, even just last year. Um, so what do you make of this weekend? I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not they arrest anyone, and yeah. if they do, like which games do they arrest them for? Um, you know, I think. What they have, uh, Toronto on Sunday, and a very annoying eight thirty start because of Flyers play earlier in the day, and then Miami on uh. Monday. I do wonder. I, I would love just from a basketball journalist standpoint for them to rest the guys on Sunday and play against the Heat on Monday. Uh, I think that is a more interesting matchup that I'm interested in learning more about. I have a feeling if they go one way, it'll go the opposite way, though. Uh, I think they'll try to prioritize trying to win on Sunday night before the back-to-back just because it's a, a more likely victory, but we will we will see. Do you, do you think... I think Joel is pretty open where he's like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a consideration whether I arrest one of these games uh, coming up, which, uh, which would make sense. They've got, besides this back-to-back, they also have a back-to-back in early April um, and another and one to the- close out the season, which and- might not matter, but... They have no two days off for the rest of the yeah. year, too. So jam-packed little run here. I think they're definitely going to rest him. Like, I think the last two games of the season are a back-to-back. Like, I don't think it really matters what seed they are at that point. Like, he's got to get some rest in that last week. Yeah, and, and Doc has been pretty open about, you know, I know that made news. I, I actually, you know, like, they got, like, a lot of uh, quote tweets, I think, when Kai Carlin posted that, but, like, Doc, I asked him after a practice last week, like, do you have like a rest plan for these guys? And he was like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you when we're going to arrest them. But I think it's safe to say over the last, I think at that point it was like 16, 17 games. Yeah, they're going to get some rest. And like, yeah. by the way, like it's like, ooh, the Sixers are, are scared. They're ducking the nets no, or something like that. No, they're being responsible. They're playing a lot of games in a short span. Embiid does not miss games due to Knicks anymore. No. Yep. I, you know, he's he's had two of the longest stretches. Like, remember, I, I forget the last time he, I, I should look this up on his game log. The last time he sat out a game, was it, a, I guess it was that Memphis game earlier in the year? Like, and it was like, he got some crap for that. It's like, oh man, he didn't play against Memphis. Like he was ducking them. Yeah. And that was the second longest stretch of, uh, of consecutive games of his career. He's responded by playing every single game since then. Yeah, he, he's missed two games since November 24th. Um, that Memphis game, uh, which was a while back, and then Washington there at the end of January. Other than that, he's only missed three games all year outside of that stretch with COVID. So yeah, he's like, been in a couple games here, one or two games, 100%. 100%. Which is like almost not even enough. Like if you tell me the ideal Joel rest scenario for the year and – Look, I, I get it. He didn't play at all during COVID, but that's that's a different sort of absence than the other things we're talking about. It just seems like it was so long ago. For him to only miss three games so far due to planned rest, like that's on yep. the low end. He's 
pretty warrior like, you know, he's he's playing a lot of games. Uh, Yeah. So I would actually be surprised if he plays in both games this weekend. Speaking of Joel, uh, 34.3 points, 12.7 rebounds, four assists over his last six games. Now officially at 30 points per game on the season, leading the league in scoring um, back on it. You know, he had a couple games there uh, against the Cavs earlier and Miami where he looked like he was starting to get some tired legs. Has been bouncing back here of late for sure. In a big way. Big way. He's going to lose the scoring title though because LeBron is just going to take 35 shots a game. There's nobody on that team. What an embarrassment, by the way. The Sixers are playing them this week. Just just embarrassing. I mean, yeah. It, it was the, it's a train wreck that everyone except for the people in charge of the Lakers saw coming. Uh, and I say that, and to be fair, I don't think anyone expected it to be this bad, but I think most people expected it to be a bad fit. So I'm um, enjoying watching that for sure. They're 30 and 40 right now, and they're going to make the playoffs probably yep. because of the plan, and the West is so crappy at the bottom. Ugh. Horrible. Nobody wants them in the playoffs. Get out of here. I don't know. I don't know if they want to be in the playoffs. No, they just yeah. want to go home. No, know? they're like three and like 13 or whatever in their last 16 games are a disaster. Not sure. Uh, I have too much else here. Anything else you think is worth bringing up? Yeah. Well, I just think the, the rest is going to be pretty important uh, moving forward because I, I just wonder like, wh- what do they care about with these seeds here? Right now they're the three seed. That seems like an okay spot to me. You start with Cleveland in the first round, but then you would have to go to Milwaukee in the second round. So we are still at the point where, um, you know, they have what, like 13, 14 games left. I forget exactly. I can't do math on top of my head. Yeah. Um, But there's, I think Toronto is only a game back of Cleveland. So certainly that can change. And Toronto is just an annoying matchup uh, that has a chance to make Joel's life at least a little bit more difficult. I think um, they'd beat them, but yeah, you're right. It would be a pain in the ass to play them. You would be a little more worried about that than than Cleveland, for sure. Yeah, or or Chicago, so. even. As as talented as Chicago is, the Sixers seem to handle those two teams pretty well. Toronto just seems like they could really muck things up for, for Embiid and Harden. And like you said, 13 games left, like, you know, they're they're only two ahead of Boston in the, the loss column. Like, yeah, they, it's, they too, it's too early to worry about seeding right now, I think. But, it's too hard to worry about seating. And it's just, I keep making this point. Like, I don't know where the right spot's going to be. Like, I, I think the money spot, there's a chance it's four where yeah. it's like you play Chicago first and Miami second, but I don't think you can engineer that necessarily with this, uh, with this playoff bracket. So, and also I think like if you get down to four and, and Boston jumps you, like, I don't know if you want to set up a potential matchup with Boston where they get home court uh, and, you know, deeper in the playoffs. You know, I think we saw last year that the best you can get the best draw possible with home court <laughs> doesn't necessarily matter. So make sure your star player is right and good to go. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the health is, is very important. And I will say like this week too, the Sixers went, I guess they went three and one. The, the magic game was bad. Like that was really sloppy, but I, I wasn't going nuts when they lost to Denver on Monday night. No. Like I wasn't like yeah. sounding the alarm. Yeah, obviously it's frustrating for Embiid to lose to Jokic. Although I thought, I thought he probably outplayed him a little bit in that single game. Whether yeah. that actually matters for MVP voting, I don't really think it does. But um, you know, th- that was Bone Tylen and Demarcus Cousins going absurd in the second half of the game. And Harden and and Embiid, I thought, executed pretty well offensively at times. Like that's the type of loss. The last time we talked about the Nets game, it's like. Well, there's nothing you could say from that game that's uh, that's a positive moving forward yep. or or anything. 
that that Nuggets loss, if they lost a couple more of those games like that, that's fine. I, I'm certainly not sa- sounding any uh, any panic alarms on that, which is why, like, you know, them playing well against Dallas and them playing pretty well against Cleveland the night before is like, that wasn't unexpected after that game. They, they've had a decent week, I would say. For sure. For sure. Yep. 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 Um, so many games, though. My there's God. a lot of games. There's a lot I, of games. And I'm very okay. much looking forward to the week off for the play-in. Yes. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot of super interesting ones coming up after you got Toronto and Miami, obviously interesting. The two LA teams, meh. Uh, Phoenix and Milwaukee then are two interesting games, uh, depending on who's playing in those. And then it sort of gets a little bit, um, not as intriguing from a playoff matchup or a measuring six standpoint. Uh, and the Sixers should be able to reel off a couple of wins to close it out if they're still playing for anything. But a lot of games here coming up, uh, still a lot at stake in terms of playoff seeding. And in terms of just figuring this team out, um, and I think Doc is pretty well set on his rotation, both in terms of his substitution pattern and also the guys he wants to play. Now we've got to see, you know, how they can all gel. Yeah, nineteenth in terms of just cumulative winning percentage on the uh, strength of schedule moving forward on Tankathon. So pretty easy schedule, and I think it's because of those backloaded yeah. games. You've got and Pistons and Pacers and Horn. Now Hornets by are the way, okay, but. Those are going to be easy wins, too, yeah. because those teams are not going to be trying because they're tanking. Yeah. So I, I, I if I had to guess, Sixers are probably going to be a top three team at the end of the year. That would yeah. be that would be my guess. But and I think they'll probably be a top three team while being able to rest Joel one or two of the games at the end. Too. And Harden, too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So in a good spot for sure. That's pretty uh. good. Re- real quick. 830 on a Sunday night is a war crime. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a little bit harsh, but look. Every now and then, you get bumped into a later slot, and you understand it. To make room for a national TV game for the Flyers just boggles my mind. Like you said, do they not have flex? Like, how does this happen? Gary Bettman, where's the flex system in that sport? Come on, what's going on? Yeah. And I was informed last night that Giroux's not even on the Flyers, basically, anyway. What are we doing? What what are we doing? Yep. I don't know. So, and the Sixers got it scheduled on the same night. I mean, come on. The the NBA and NHL schedule makers, we got to get together and just do a better job here. Like... Look, 8.30 games, if it's like a playoff game and it's two Eastern time zones, so they do the 6, 8.30, okay, I kind of understand that, and that's during the week or, or whatever. Or if you're playing in Chicago, like, fine. Yeah. 8.30 in Philadelphia, it's like Sunday Night Football starts before then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Against Toronto. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's... Uh, and I mean, it's hilarious, too, because the Sixers... It's not just that it's annoying for us, I'm sure... They'll have a very lower ratings too. Lately, yes, they'll get lower ratings as well. But also, too, hey, by the way, uh, you're at home. You're playing a home back to back. Yeah. And you're starting with an 8:30 game. Yeah. What? So that's. I mean, that's why I think there's no shot Embiid doesn't uh, sit on the Miami. Sit one of those games. Just I don't. I don't know which one it'll be. But I agree. It seems uh, all signs pointing in that direction for sure. I will have my story pre-written from that game. (laughs) Anyway, uh, thanks for jumping on, Rich, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.